This is The Sharp End, a podcast from Accident and North American Mountaineering with me, Ashley Soppy. Thanks for tuning in. I've been working in the outdoor industry for about 10 years. I've been working as a trainer, instructor, and course director for the Outbound School based in Colorado and Alaska. And this has been a huge part of my life in terms of personal growth and appreciating the value of how the environment can directly affect us. I often read the books that the American Alpine Club publishes annually called Accidents in North American Mountaineering. I get into the incident reports that come out from the Outbound School as well as the Knoll School, and I'm tr- constantly trying to learn from other people's mistakes. Now, as every person in the outdoor industry knows, we are always on the move. We are transient folk who sacrifice a lot to make the mountains our office. All this time spent traveling to and from seasonal jobs, different states, and climbing crags gets me thinking. I wonder how much time us diehard folks spend on the road, going to and from place to place. And how can we be most efficient with all that time spent on the road? So I decided on a long solo trip to the Tetons that what I wanted was to plug into a podcast that would contribute to making me a smarter mountain person. I decided that I wanted to plug into a podcast that was going to teach me something. So there it is. The Sharp End was born. My goal here is to talk about the mountains, to share experiences, to deliver you interesting near misses and or incidents from the outdoor world so we can learn, grow, and become more experienced mountain people. So thank you for listening to the first ever episode of The Sharp End, brought to you by the American Alpine Club. To kick us off, here is today's guest reading from his blog about a scary accident that happened last April in the great state of Alaska. I was fantastically confused. I didn't know where I was or why I was there. I remember being unsure that any of it was real. But I remember thinking, this felt pretty real. I was cold and I was wet and I couldn't remember with any dreams with that level of realism. I remembered something about a trip to the mountains, but thought none of that was real. But I decided to go forward as though it was real. After all, you do the same in dreams, don't you? I saw the rope snaking down. Who's up there? I shouted. None of it made sense. When I heard Sarah's voice, everything suddenly clicked back into place. Sarah has a uniquely girly voice that I have a tough time confusing with anyone else. I told her I was okay. I think I got knocked out, I added. Yeah, well, you probably did, she responded. Her calm agreement with my assessment of the situation put me at ease. I took my prussics off my harness and began the task of climbing out. This story will appear in the 2016 edition of Accidents, but we've got him on the line right now to share his lessons. So on behalf of myself and the AAC, I'd like to introduce Seth Adams. He was kind enough for letting us use his story for the first ever episode. Welcome to the show, Seth. Where are you from? I'm from Fairbanks, Alaska. Sweet. How's the weather? Um, you know, surprisingly warm for the middle of winter. <laughs> that is surprising for Fairbanks. So without further ado, Seth, why don't we talk about your story on the Trident Glacier? What happened out there? Well, yeah, so the, the longish version is that um, my friend Sarah Hart, uh, who is from Squamish, British Columbia, came up to go climbing with me in the Alaska Range. And um, our original plan was to go to the Central Alaska Range and climb, uh, our goal was to climb ham and eggs on the moose's tooth. But it was just snowing tons and tons in the mountains there. It was Everything was buried. Um, and so we decided to change plans. And at the last minute, we decided instead to fly to the Hayes Range, 
to climb Mount Hayes, which is a, a non-technical mountain, but it's the tallest mountain in the Hayes Range, and it's a it's a big, it's a very big glaciated peak. So we flew into the Trident Glacier and uh, set up camp and and went to sleep. And the uh, the weather forecast was pretty good, so we got up the next day with a plan to basically cross the glacier to the base of the East Ridge and hike up to our our well our only camp it would be on the mountain is at the top of a bump called Levi's Bump. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's what happened, and we we never even made it to the base of the mountain. Right, so you, you you woke up and you decided, hey, good weather, let's um, let's start the trek over over to the peak, and uh, and you you weren't wearing skis, correct? No, we we decided that skis would just be sort of a sort of a pain. We didn't really need them. Um, the snow was super hard; it was it was windswept, and you could stomp on it, and it didn't even leave a footprint in the snow. So there was this really strong layer of uh, of crust covering the whole glacier um and so we thought about skis and we knew that there'd be some crevasse advantages with skis but we basically thought that they would just be something that we'd have to deal with once we had them um so we left them behind they they weren't going to make us any faster basically right and so we looked around and saw that the glacier was big and flat and couldn't really see any evidence of any crevasses anywhere so we decided that it would be fine to not rope up and we just would walk over to the base of the ridge. Also, um, clearly the, the, we were going to walk up the south side of the ridge and it was very clear that there was no glaciers on that part of the ridge. So we would basically have been roping up just to walk to the base of the route before we would unrope. How far of a walk was it to the base of the route? You know, it's really hard to judge distances in Alaska because everything things can often look a lot closer than they really are. Um, but I think it was about a mile. Okay. So how long do you think you and Sarah ended up walking before you, um, well, I guess before you found yourself in the bottom of a crevasse? Um, well, there's, there's definitely a little bit of missing time in there. Um, so I think we walked for like, God, five minutes or something. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, we had just started walking and I saw some, I saw that there were crevasses in the distance, but I was like, well, I'll just go way around those. Um, and I looked and, uh, you know, I couldn't see any evidence of crevasses in front of me. And then next thing I knew I was falling. Wow. What was that like? Um, you know, I think I was just like, I don't think I realized at the moment that it was going to be a big deal. Um, like I sort of broke in and I was like, oops, I guess I'm going all the way in. And I thought I would just like stop. And I remember sort of that feeling of rotating in the air. Um, and that's all I remember. Wow, Seth. Okay, so now the next thing you remember, um, there's a rope being lowered down to you. Yeah, so I think I mean, obviously, we don't know how long I was knocked out for. Um, I think that there's, I took a photo while we were just walking across the, uh, walking across the glacier. And then I actually took a, a bloody faced self-portrait in the bottom of the crevasse. And the timestamps on those photos are about 20 minutes apart. Wow. Um, 
and the, the selfies, the, the fact that I took a selfie at that moment was was actually kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah, I saw the selfie on your blog. The picture is is priceless. I mean, the look on your face is priceless. I think a big part of the reason that I took the picture, and I didn't remember this until later, but I knew I had blood on my face. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to, I partly just wanted to see what was happening with, with me. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so I, I took the selfie. And so I think I was knocked out basically for long enough for Sarah to put on her crampons, build an anchor, and lower me a rope. What I find really lucky is that actually Sarah was the one that was carrying the rope. And she was walking behind you at the time of your fall. Yeah, we we had this um, we had the discussion that we would um, that she would carry the rope in case there was any crevasse falls, and she would walk in the back. Uh, that was that was the discussion that we had. But basically, we we slash I thought that there was no chance of a crevasse fall. We were just, I mean, obviously we would have roped up if we thought that there had been any chance of it, but it just looked so benign that, right. that I was just like, Oh, it'll be fine. Um, here you carry the, you carry the rope. Um, also we were both wearing harnesses. Um, those were like the two, the two precautions that we took. Right. And the conscious decision to wear harnesses while crossing the glacier in the first place would have made hauling you out a lot more convenient for Sarah. Yeah, definitely. It would have. Um, I mean, honestly, the way things actually worked out, I probably would have been able to put on a harness. Um, I may have lost a lot more gear because I might have like unpacked my backpack and I don't know if I would have put it back in. <laughs> um, but yeah, it definitely, definitely made things a lot better to have my harness on and definitely made things way better that she had the rope. Um, I dislocated my shoulder in the fall. Um, it's kind of an old recurring thing that my shoulder goes out and it goes back in. Um, and actually, I mean, normally when that happens, there's as soon as I got out, I could barely lift my arm. Um, but I was still able to prosec out. So I was using my shoulder in a way that normally after that particular injury, I would never be able to. But certainly I had some adrenaline that was dulling the pain. So you prosecked out. Yeah, I prosecked out. Sarah helped me pass the lip. Um, actually, the, the, if, if you've never done any crevasse rescue, the hardest part is always just getting from two feet below the surface onto the surface. Um, so Sarah gave me some hauling help to get me up over that. Did she build an anchor, Seth? Yeah, she built an anchor. And... and yeah, I actually don't remember what she built it out of. It was probably a ski pole and a couple of pickets, but I don't remember. Okay. Um, when I was reading your blog, you mentioned an interesting note on partner rescue, which really caught my eye. Um, you said at the time of the incident, you weighed about 100 more pounds than Sarah did. And, um, you know, you felt that she'd probably be unable to extract you on a three-to-one. Mm -hmm. So how, do you, how would you address that, you know, on your next trip? Um, I mean, honestly, I mean, I, I would actually, Sarah and I are planning to go back to the Alaska range this year. Um, so it's, it's not like I, uh, am swearing off of climbing with people that are that much smaller than me, but I think there is some real advantages to being sort of balanced in your weight. When you fall in a crevasse, the rope cuts into the bridge and there's all sorts of places where 
where there's extra friction that you don't get in a much cleaner rescue situation. So the rope running over the edge creates a lot of friction. And how Sarah would be able to pull against that friction to raise somebody that weighs, you know, she couldn't use her body weight to, to pull against all that friction nearly the way I could to pull her up, for example. Um, so I think basically what she would, the only thing that she would be able to do is just get more mechanical advantage. Um, and so the common practice of carrying two pulleys to set up a three to one, I think probably needs to be reassessed and people should carry the extra two pulleys to set up a five to one instead. Yeah. Well, what an experience, Seth. And you mentioned earlier that you're planning another trip to the Alaska range. Is that this year? Um, we're talking about a, another April trip to go ice climbing in the in the central Alaska range. We're, we're basically trying for a, a repeat of last year's uh, failed attempt. Do you have your eye on a certain route out there? Um, either ham and eggs or like maybe the mini moonflower or some of the more like cragging routes around the Kahiltna base camp, like Mount Francis and stuff. Are you going to be roping up this time? Yeah, we will. We will be roping up. Are you going to be wearing skis? Um, I think skis are still going to be a little bit situational. Um, we'll probably use them if we feel we need them, but they definitely provide some advantages with crevasses. I don't know. I mean, the bridge that I broke through was so thin. I don't know if skis would have made a difference. Um, I, mean, it was, I mean, it was a really thin bridge that I broke through, so it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. So I know you're friends with Colin Haley. And the reason why I bring Colin up is because I was reading another article that the AAC put out in 2014 about Colin's crevasse fall and the Wrangell St. Elias. I think that was in March of 2013, and he had a lot of great takeaways from his experience. Did you hear about that? Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I knew Colin at the time that he took that fall, and I remember thinking, God, he was unroped on that glacier and he fell in a crevasse. And I did the exact same thing, even with his experience to go off of. So, you know, definitely, uh, definitely takes one to know one, I guess. But um, what his assessment was, Colin's from the Pacific Northwest. He, he grew up climbing in the Cascades around Seattle. And so he's used to, he's used to the really heavy, wet snow, snowpacks. Um, and I had been living down in that area in Vancouver and Squamish, BC. And, and I worked on Mount Rainier for a year. So I got used to the same heavy, wet snow, snowpacks. And the bridges there can be, the snow bridges over crevasses there can be incredibly strong. I mean, sometimes you, you look at a sagging bridge, but it's like you could drive a car across it um, because they're two meters thick or whatever. Um, and they sag because they're heavy, but they're, they're strong still. And I think the dry cold of the drier ranges causes much thinner bridges to form. Um, maybe because they form in a big storm and then the wind blows the snow off and scrapes it down to being a thin bridge. I don't really know. I don't really know how it happens, but it happens that the bridges become thin and weak and they don't sag at all, basically. Um, and I knew that. I mean, I grew up climbing in the Eastern Alaska range. Uh, you know, I took a mountaineering class when I was at the university here in Fairbanks. Um, and Fairbanks is a dry, cold place. So we, that was what I came from. But I guess I managed to forget, basically, that the bridges can be a lot trickier in, 
in drier ranges. Mm-hmm. That right there is a good learning. Yeah, it would be nice if uh, I could have learned that lesson slightly easier, but but uh, learned it again anyway. Well, I'm really glad that you're safe and, and uh, that was the worst of it. Um, anything else you want to you wanna add for our listeners? Yeah, I think, I mean, my main takeaway was just don't be complacent. Um, and I think that that applies to a lot of places. You know, the decision to... The decision to not rope up saved us from basically walking with a rope on. You know, that was all it saved us. Um, And nobody likes roping up for glacier travel. Nobody likes to have a rope on when they're walking, you know, on flat ground, um, tripping on the rope and needing to walk exactly the same speed as your partner. It's a pain in the butt, but it's awfully easy considering the safety margin that it offers, you know, considering that it could easily save your life. Um, I, I, you know, even before this accident, I held the opinion that dying by falling in a crevasse would be among the worst ways to go. You know, you end up all pinned into some horrible, awkward situation. Um, so the fact that I landed sort of on a big, flat, snowy ledge at the bottom of this crevasse and I could stand up and move around, um, was really, really lucky. You You know, I could have easily gotten wedged you know as the crevasse gets narrower towards the bottom i could easily have fallen just until that pressure was too much um and i would just stop and i would have been very injured and i would have been pinned and i would have been probably unable to move um so i mean falling in a crevasse is extremely dangerous and i got very lucky that i landed on like a basically a flat snowy ledge yeah, and I mean, what are the odds of that actually happening? Falling through a crevasse and landing on a snowy ledge with minimal injuries? You're fortunate, Seth. So again, to our listeners, Seth's top advice is don't be complacent. In his story for accidents in North American mountaineering, he also says that on future trips, he'll spend more time probing the glacier near base camp to learn about the local snow conditions and crevasse bridges. And here's a gear note. Seth said that Sarah used a Petzl Micro Attraction as an auto-blocking pulley to help pull him over the lip of the crevasse, and he believes the Micro Attraction also would have been much quicker and more efficient than a Prusik for ascending the rope. So Seth, thank you again so much for being on the first episode of The Sharp End. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Ashley. I, I hope it goes well. I'd also like to thank all the listeners for tuning in. And finally, I want to say thank you to the American Alpine Club for being so supportive and excited about me making this show a reality. You can find Seth's story online by searching Seth Adams Haze Range at publications.americanalpineclub.org. It will also appear in the 2016 edition of Accidents in North American Mountaineering. Accidents in North American Mountaineering is an annual publication of the American Alpine Club with frequent online reports and updates. AAC members receive the book each year for free. To learn more, visit AmericanAlpineClub.org. Until the next episode, play hard and be smart.